Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated, and aired live every week, only on the Non-Productive Network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio by Pete and James. Hi, Pete and James. Hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. I cannot categorically deny any of the things that you just said. On Near Mint, we rank and review comics from best to worst. That's Mint, Near Mint, Good, Fair, and Poor to You Newbies, and try to guide you in what to read and what might be better to avoid. And we are doing a very special presentation. We're reading Jonathan Hickman's long-awaited return to the X-Men books in House of X and Powers of Ten. Hoxpox. Uh, Hoxpox, right, as the internet is beginning to refer to it. Uh, on this episode, we are going to be spoiling everything inclusive of House of X number two. The fourth issue in the reading order is what yeah. we're going to go up to today. Bing. Uh, so let, let's get right into it. This is a big book. This is a huge book. House of X number two is huge. This is the one that was teased by uh, Marvel as the most important uh, page in X-Men history. Yeah, and I could, I finally see why, and it's not hyperbole. It is mwah, chef's kiss perfectly done. I am not a longtime X-Men reader. Like I said, I've only hit the greatest hits, the classics. Uh, this was amazing. Like, And they do a great job of like showing how broad the scope of this change is going to be and how much backwards and forwards it affects. And it, it, it was fantastic. It reintroduces weird into X-Men, which is maybe been missing for way too long. Uh, just cause like, as it, I was slowly becoming aware of what was happening and it takes the entire run of the book for me to be really aware of what's happening. I, I'm like more and more disturbed by what's going on. So let's give some background, right? Because it's only fair. So Moira, Moira McTaggart. Yes. Big character in X-Men lore, but also kind of like this unanswered question. Yeah. She was, Almost unasked question, really. Yeah, she was a, uh, a human scientist who studied mutants. Right. Unless you're watching the movies, in which case she's an FBI agent. Sure. Who studies mutants. <laughs> right, right, right. And she's the occasional love interest of Xavier. Exactly. Charles Xavier. Yes. Um, on again, off again. Occasional uh, foil to the X-Men, uh, mostly in like what-if stories or alternate futures and things like that, where she's working on a cure for mutants, which, of course, mutants may not want, because yeah. that's who they are. Um, she's an ever-present character in X-Men mythos. She's been around for a very, very long time. She's definitely not often a powered individual, and when she is ever depicted with having some sort of supernatural abilities or anything, it's almost always in, like, a what-if scenario. What if. I don't believe yeah. she, she never was anything more than a baseline human yeah, I in don't th the regular continuity. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so this book opens up with a description of her life. And for the most part, it seems pretty benign the, uh, as it goes through her uh, fairly mundane life, uh, how she, you know, excelled at certain things. But like, you know, she was she got sick at a very young age, but she made it through miraculously. She had many children. She lived a happy life. As a, as a long term X-Man fan, I'm reading this and saying this this isn't right. It seemed a this little off. Not, 
this is not Moira McTaggart. This is not what her life was. So my feeling, uh, first reading was like, is this her mother? Are we getting? Are we going back? Because it looked a little Little House on the Prairie-ish. Yeah. Maybe this was earlier on. Or I felt maybe like this was contemporary with James Howlett's childhood. Yeah, it felt something about. They were just seemed like it didn't seem like they were talking about Charles Xavier really yeah. uh, when they were describing the love of her life. But I'm like, what is? What's the point here? What's What's where are we driving at here? This character who, you know, as well written as she is and how often she appears, often is just like the plus one to uh, more major characters. And then she dies at the ripe age of 74. Yeah. And that I'm like, what is happening here? Is this somebody writing fanfic of the life she should have led? And then immediately we ratchet up the weird. So in this book, in House of X number two, we find out, and if you put this on paper and send it out as a press release, you'd get a bunch of bad hot takes from a bunch yeah. of comic book fans who are like, oh, this, is not, this isn't cool, this isn't fun, this isn't uh, canon, or this isn't the comics I, I'm used to. I'm sure a lot of people would have, like, because on paper it sounds weird. Moira McTaggart is a mutant, and she's always been a mutant. And I'm like, this is... Not good, except for the way it's presented, which is fantastic. It's so good. We find out in her, we find out that it, I think literally her next incarnation, she is aware of everything that has happened in her first life. Yeah. Because of that, it spoils what she does in this life, and she can never line things up perfectly. Mm-hmm. She knows too much about her, the man she will eventually fall in love with, and it like it spoils the surprise. Uh, and eventually, she she dies in a plane crash on her way to meet Xavier. Right? Yeah, she finds out about Xavier on the plane right there. She dies, and I'm like, what is that? Immediately back in utero, in her next life, and I, my mind is blown. At I'm trying to figure out. Like what? Is, what are your experiences? We're we're trying to recreate what it was like to read this first time. Of course, if you're re- listening to this podcast, hopefully you've you've read along. What was it like for you two when you're slowly piecing together what they're doing with this character, Pete? I uh, I mean I think I saw it. I, I, I'm probably the worst one to go to first. Oh, because I think I I saw I understood what was happening pretty much immediately. Really? I'm looking I'm reading this and trying to figure out when the store the the timeline that we're familiar with takes hold. Mm. And I I'm sitting there wrestling with okay, does this actually can can this somehow line up and not contradict everything that's come before? I I guess I I kind of also kind of figured out pretty quickly what was going on. It's not like it's not like that crazy of a notion, right? You figure out she's reincarnating and going through this. I think to me, the fun was seeing all of the, just all of the stuff she did in all those timelines. So like a uh, third timeline, they have the big handy chart here mm-hmm. at the, uh, at the, all the end the of the book. All the ancillary material is great. And it's, you know, like in her third life, she she's the person who finds the X gene, X gene and then she dies in the laboratory accident, right? Um, then she's one of the, um, you know, one of the versions she's, you know, developing the cure and she gets killed by, you know, Mystique and the, the other, uh, you know, villains we know. I feel like, wasn't there one of them where it's just like, she immediately screws up and takes a mulligan? No, no. That's what it felt like. To I, I might be like cross-referencing that with an episode of uh, Family Guy in my mind. <laughs> well, yeah. no, that's be- what it felt like. No, because they make a point when 
she meets Destiny? Destiny. That says, you do not have infinite lives to do this. Yeah, at one point, you'll mess up, and it'll happen before your X-Gene takes hold, and then you're just like any other human. Yeah, so for me, am I, 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 I'm well aware something's happening here around the third incarnation, because the, the second one was just weird, and I figured mm. maybe that's all there is. She has a lifetime of experience, and they're mulliganing away her past, and then when she dies on the way to meet Xavier and has another life to run into him, I realize that reincarnation is somehow her power set. But what's more interesting to me is how that plays out in narrative, right? So if her power set was time travel, which we're pretty familiar with with yeah. X-Men. Mutants, there are a decent amount of mutants who do time travel as their gimmick. Even if it's not their mutant ability, it's their gimmick, right? Cable, right? Obviously yeah. Bishop. In these characters, the question always becomes, what timeline are they really from? And then what can they do to the other timeline to correct it? These are air quotes on both, right? The idea being that they're almost as if they're different realities. They're different worlds, different planets that have almost the same background, but things can happen differently in those things. With Moira, the way they described her abilities, it's... Every one of her lives is a not real world. Everyone. Everything that's ever happened to her is something that never really matters in the long run. Yeah, when she dies, she gets to do it again. It's just like it's ripe from existence. She exists completely off book from everyone else in a way that isn't time travel because she can she can experience it all, get it to the to its ultimate state she's almost the most important character in a way because it all revolves around who she is and what she's doing yeah and that's kind of awesome because and and i love the panel where she's you know like talking about all of her lives and we get a shot of like the new x-men and x-men versus avengers and Mm -hmm. like all these things that like you know are not non-connected right assumably Mm -hmm. but you know with all comics the continuity is fuzzy and well, well, I'm sure Pete yeah, disagrees I mean, with me, but uh, you know, it, it just it, as a new reader, what a cool way to make that stuff seem super accessible in the moment of Moira's story. Right. It all lines up in a very interesting, unique way that isn't time travel. And when we run into her her experience with destiny, it's an it's again it's show don't tell right. It's not a it's not all just narrative. It's not just exposition. She's interacting with this major character who's explaining like yeah we all have weird things going on. <laughs> Mine is I know how things will go. And just so you know, your mutant ability does you may die one day before your mutant ability kicks in, and then you die. And even that is just brilliant because the pubescence and the way mutant ability expresses itself in fiction almost never really matters. It's a stand-in for like being a teenager and being full of I don't fit in. Mm -hmm. I get it. That's cool. Comic books are fun. Uh, But this is one of those times where like that element adjusts her power set in such a creative way. Everything about this... When you hear that Hickman wrote this for like, was thinking about this for over a decade, I believe. Yeah, I think uh, like 16 years yeah, he's been, you, he's, uh, since he was a teenager. Like, you, I feel it. I get it now. Yeah. I see where he wrote, it, where he's been playing with this forever. It, it brings a lot of really, to me at least, interesting questions. Like, how, does, how do Destiny's powers work? If she can see these 
other universes or the, these other timelines that Moira was going to lead. Mm. I don't know. Like, I got it. She can see that they exist at least. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a little vague. Like she couldn't see directly into them, but kind of like the way time yeah. and stuff moved around her. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was weird, but neat. Am I? And, f- and, but time moves around you in a way that you're going to only have ten or eleven lifetimes. I think. I, to be honest, I think that might just be a uh, um, statistics. She's spouting out. She's like, just yeah. so you know, you can only do this so many times. Eventually, that die is going to roll, and you're going to die when you're five, yeah. and your mutant ability won't kick in, and you'll just be dead. Yeah. Uh, or it, we'll, I'll be around, and I'll kill you because you're you're you constantly hunt us down. Yeah. It uh, also is. I, I brings up the question of exactly what is happening with these other lives that Moira is leading. Like, does the universe reset for everybody? I do those does those do those universes that she's living in keep going past her death? That's so fascinating. They never answer it, but in a way, yeah. they like I said, they've refocused it so she's the most important character in X Men. Uh, yeah, in a way, it's very interesting considering how much time travel has played a part in X-Men stories that we've known so far. Yes. Because what does this mean for X-Men from the future? Right. Like Cable. Like does does Cable's future exist anywhere? Does he ever get and, and then does he exist anymore if there's no future for him to go to? It's super fascinating. It's an awesome way to to play with this dynamic that there is a character that acts almost as if a like a black box for potent possible futures. Right? Here's all the things that could go wrong. I'm the thing that survived when it did go wrong. And I'm here to tell you everything. And one of my favorite parts about this book, not only does it refocus on Moira X as the main character. These little quotes, these little page quotes mm-hmm. that uh, Hickman puts in the front and the end of these books. I'm here, I've always been here, Moira X, at the end of this book. But the last panel, which is that same panel we've seen earlier in this run, the you know the page that will change X-Men history forever, and it's you know Xavier meeting Moira for the first time, and Moira saying, you know, read my mind and see, and his expression when he sees it. My favorite part about this, yes, Moira, center of the universe, really awesome. But, you know, uh, Professor X has been uh, the major driving force in X-Men pretty much from the beginning. Yeah. Really from the beginning. His name. Yeah. And one of the things about Professor X is that he is arguably evil. Right? He does a lot of very shady things. Right? He manipulates people's memories. He puts new thoughts into their heads. He, chain, he edits out things, sometimes willingly, sometimes not. Sometimes in stories that get like retconned away. I mean, I can't have lost track of how many times he's manipulated Magneto's brain and made things worse, ultimately. In this scenario, by giving him this information of all these possible worlds and how they go astray... And also the information that knowing where things will go can make things worse, it kind of puts some justification on the choices Professor X has made throughout history as a character, right? So um, if you know, like a lot of times you say, why wouldn't Professor X just confide in people or trust people to make the right decisions? But he knows information that he can't share 
because if he shares it, it's the observer bias. It mm-hmm. might alter the the end result. So it just creates this amazing narrative knot that strangles yeah. my brain and I in such a good way. Love it. I absolutely love this. To to be overly scientific, that's not the observer bias. The observer bias, because he knows, he's already changing it. Yeah, he's already affected by the it. Fact well, that, but well, if he shares it with other people, they, it, it just it, compounds. Yeah, it compounds it. They bring it up in the episode more, uh, or in the in the comic more. Was like just by being here, just by knowing what happens, I am affecting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, personally, I'm interested in timelines uh, eight and nine, uh, Magneto timeline and uh, more Apocalypse timeline. <laughs> well, the one where she's like, "All right, maybe Magneto work," and then well, finally was like, oh, "Okay, Apocalypse, let's see that." <laughs> I I am interested in, in timeline six. Which one is Timeline 6? Timeline I don't know them all off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. Why don't you read everything in Timeline 6 for us, James? All right, all right. Timeline 3, 4, 5. Is... Oh. 6 isn't there. Interesting. We know nothing about Timeline, timeline 6. six. Good catch, Pete. This book is so convoluted. There's I love it. There's a hole it. for it. There's a whole life there. that we don't know. What anything about <sighs> there's so many amazing could that be the one these... we're seeing now I, I think it's and i don't know if this is too much foreshadowing or too much knowledge i i don't know but isn't i think no no there's definitely too much we'll, we'll oh, get wow. back to, See we'll what get back I'm to t- saying yeah. his brain is mush <laughs> from what i can from this issue from what i can tell based on that timeline that we get in this book timeline 10 is the baseline Marvel as we had known it before. Uh-huh. Right. So that's where we're at with that. It's very, this is, uh, it's a brilliant book. It's a lot of it. it there's a lot. There's a lot. And you know what? This sets up so much. And the hope, the desperate hope is we're three issues in and what's effectively a 12 issue miniseries yeah. that it will pay off in a way that means something and i feel like it probably will i am getting our hopes uh, up oh man i am so trepidatious about this my 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 soothe my 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 balm on this is that from the get-go they're like 12 issues we know yes we've we've i've thought about this for years and it's it's these are the 12 issues and usually the problem becomes when things get too top heavy or too successful for their own good or they have to be wrapped up really quickly and hopefully that's not what's going to happen here such a, I, I think we need to go my biggest concern uh-huh. is that i've read a lot of hickman's work mm. especially in marvel and he's very good at telling these very very interesting stories but I I don't I've I'm very often felt left feeling that it's a little the ending is a little hollow. Mm. I it, didn't get everything I wanted out of it. Ah, uh, so but is that because the stories are so good? Because I've occasionally felt that when I've read a story that's so good that when it ends, I'm just like, there's nothing that could have satisfied me. It's not quite that. Mm. It's not that I just wanted more and more to, for this to keep going and never end. It's that this doesn't quite feel like the right ending. It's, it feels like things could have been pulled together a little bit better. Right. I think I think my thing is it's very complicated. You know, oh, it's, and there 
it's tough because like in every powers of X book, they're telling multiple stories, mm-hmm. but then they're using house of no in every powers yeah. of 10 book. They're yeah. telling multiple stories in every house of X book. They're telling like one singular story. And I just feel like there's a lot going on in the powers of 10 yeah. stuff there's- that I'm like, shouldn't you be using both books oh, yeah. to tell these multiple stories? You, we realize that we are three issues in. We are three issues into this. And we're, we're only three on issues in? Three yeah. issues in. So I think much it, has happened. It's, speaking of so much <laughs> happening, I think it's time to review this book. James, what do you think about House of X number two? I, I don't have a ton of baggage with the X-Men. Uh-huh. And this was just a joy to read in every way. I'm going to say mint. Mint. I am blown away. I absolutely love this. I can't believe that marketing hype was true. (laughs) I absolutely mint. And and here's where I end up throwing the wet blanket on the party. I'm sorry. (laughs) I, I just have... I have too much trepidation here. The stakes are so high, and there's one glaring plot hole that, bo- or one glaring plot element that bothers me Ugh. about this. What? It's the fact that somehow Moira's rege- uh, reincarnation powers also render her unable to be detected as a mutant, which is the explanation for why they never knew she was a mutant in the past. Hmm. It, it bothers me because it, it doesn't seem to make any sense. It's, it's the, just too narratively convenient. It's probably the only way they could do this story, though. They needed some MacGuffin to I, keep her. I don't know. I think I the fact that her power only kicks in when she dies and comes back is kind could of be. is it's it fits enough. But yeah, your it's opinion. an interesting argument. Uh-huh. But I I I'm, I just don't buy it, and that knocks it down to a near mint for me. I'm sorry. Mm. That's still pretty good. Ah, uh, pretty good, but not the triple mint that I desperately wanted. I know, I'm uh, sorry. I hope everyone listening to this is going to keep reading. I sure as hell am. Uh, this has just been an amazing book, and I can't believe it. it I'm so happy. It's it's not often you get a book that's this fun to read for pure continuity's sake. Uh, and, you know, great imagery, great great writing. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. Uh, If you did enjoy this episode, please like, follow, and subscribe so you get the latest in the podcatcher of your choice, and leave us a good review, and we'll read it in an upcoming episode. Possibly one that'll get that coveted triple mint. Huh? Huh? You leave us a triple mint by uh, giving us five stars and, and saying something nice about us, personally, because I need it. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.